Welcome to the Healthcare Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Joining us today to talk about some of the financial and social hurdles that come with trying to implement telemedicine is Matt Schaefer, Director of Telemedicine and Virtual Care at Erlanger Health Center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. How you doing, Matt? Doing great, Elmer. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Thank you for joining us. So, Matt, I wanted to start at ground level. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do as Director of Telemedicine and Virtual Care at Erlanger Health System? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Thanks again for giving me this medium. I think it's incredibly important uh, to have mediums like this and to have the ability to speak uh, to your audience about telemedicine and virtual care. But Erlanger Health System is a uh, six-hospital healthcare system in southeast Tennessee. We have 834 total beds. We're a level one trauma center. We're a very large, busy, world-renowned, comprehensive uh, stroke center. Uh, we are really the only level one trauma center for a long ways around for hundreds of square miles. And also, what's important to know, many people don't know this about Erlanger, it's the seventh largest public hospital in the United States by patient volume. And also, we have the eighth busiest emergency department in the United States, seeing around 130 so thousand patients a year and growing. So what we've seen here at Erlanger is tremendous growth. And because of that tremendous growth, that's what's really sort of been the market driver into getting into virtual care within the health system. I'll say a couple things. One, I, I've just shared with you several of the statistics about Erlanger, and, and we're big and we're growing. But the other, uh, I think, driver about why we chose to really dive headfirst into virtual care for our region is because we serve a very diverse area very diverse counties, very diverse populations. We serve Hamilton County, which is very uh, urban, and uh, University of, U- of Tennessee Chattanooga downtown. But we also serve the, the, the other end of the spectrum, the Polk County Tennessees, the Grundy County Tennessees, which are very rural, have very limited access to health care. And our goal is really as a health system is to use uh, virtual care, telemedicine, audio-video communication to help bridge that gap between us downtown who have plenty of access to care and those out in rural areas who may not. Right. So, Matt, you mentioned the term virtual care. And do you think that that might scare some people away, the idea of not being face-to-face with their doctor? What do you say to people that might be hesitant or, or scared off by that phrase? Yeah, that, that's a fair point, Elmer, and I should have really touched on that in the first question because that is really the the, the key holdup or, or, um, or key holdup that people have about taking a, a evaluation from a provider that you're not physically in the room with. So at its root, telemedicine, telehealth, virtual care, I'm going to use all those sort of interchangeably here, understanding that there are some nuances in their definitions. But really, it's all about um, physician provider in one place, patient in a totally different place, so not a face-to-face visit, and doing that sort of interaction via technology. So it could be as simple as an audio-video evaluation. Um, or it could be as complex as an audio-video evaluation with 
telemedicine peripherals where you're able to look in their mouth and their ears and listen to their heart and have all of those sounds and images transmitted in real time to the provider who could be hundreds of miles and several states away. So you can imagine if you're not used to that and you, you like going to your doctor and looking them in the eyes and having them touch your skin and, and really have a hands-on approach, the, the virtual care model may not be for you. Um, but understand that this is really, it's growing nationally because of the shortage of physicians, especially in rural care areas. And so what I would say to someone is give it a try. If you don't necessarily want to continue to drive long distances to get to a specialist, then you know that a health system like Erlanger is offering telemedicine services in your area. Give it a try. The technology is so good now. The way that the technology has been built, uh, it's becoming so advanced, it is almost like sitting in the room with the physician. And the fact that they can hear your heart clearly through a digital stethoscope, they can look in your ears just as if they were standing there with an otoscope through a digital otoscope, which is readily available. They can look in your mouth uh, with a digital laryngoscope. All of these things have really made it a lot easier for folks who haven't gone through a virtual care visit uh, to become more comfortable with some that kind of, of visit. So then do you think this is the number one social obstacle in our way to making telemedicine a, a more commercially viable thing in our industry? Yeah, it is. Uh, so I, I can tell you here from experience when we um, try to launch and also when other healthcare systems that we know well try to launch these kind of initiatives into more rural care areas or areas where they're not quite used to the whole idea of using technology in the place of a physician uh, in order to, to do kind of an evaluation, it is. It's the biggest social hurdle. And I don't think there's a magic pill to get over that. Like, I, I don't think that we could just say, well, we're just going to force it down their throat and, and hopefully they'll get used to it. I think it's about health systems like us continuing to use innovation in these areas to, to make people feel more comfortable, to introduce it to them up front. And then also what I would say is equally as important is for our providers and really any provider that does telemedicine to physically go to that rural area on a once a year, twice a year, twice a month basis. So you could actually physically see the people that you're normally treating by virtual care. So don't just rely on the camera to do the evaluation for you all the time. Every now and then, if you're a provider that does telemedicine, get out and see them in person. I think you start to build those relationships and start to break down those, those social phobias that folks have about virtual care. And now from because uh, we're talking about, you know, one of the biggest benefits is is how you can have a larger reach, especially in these rural areas. Are, are there any difficulties from a legal aspect doing this across state lines? Yeah, of course. I mean, there, there's always issue in, in virtual care doing that. The the most important one being that the, the physician that sees that patient must be licensed in the state that that patient is physically located in. So we serve a hospital in Murphy, North Carolina, and if we do a, a telemedicine evaluation on that patient in North Carolina, the doctor that's here in Tennessee has to be licensed in North Carolina as well because that's where the patient's physically located. And so you can understand that that takes time, it takes resources, it takes effort for us to do that. 
which we're happy to do because we believe the benefit is so much greater to the patient. But from a legal perspective, yes. And the other piece of it is every state really has their take, the way they view telemedicine, the way they write their reimbursement guidelines for payers, for instance, and, and the guidelines that state Medicaid has. And so the difficult part for someone like myself, who's in charge of the administrative aspects of telemedicine, is keeping up with that. I mean, can you imagine we serve, we serve Tennessee, Georgia, uh, Alabama, and North Carolina, and looking to launch telemedicine in all of those states. We have to be very cognizant of the continuing evolving landscape in each state. So which state requires informed consent? Which state requires you to have a telepresenter there physically? What settings of care actually qualify as a reimbursable site for these services? So all of these things we have to take into consideration. And especially because the ground underneath us is shifting, seems like, from year to year, those are some of the legal and regulatory aspects we have to take into consideration. So then, Tamir, my last question, what about from a financial side? Are, are there any big differences or obstacles in, in your way? Well, no, it's a fair question. Um, so the, the interesting point is that the telemedicine technology, the price of admission, if you will, to sort of put that technology into areas has really decreased. I mean, the technology is more readily available. It's less expensive. Plus, as you'll see, and I'll give you one good example, is here in Tennessee, we have a school-based telemedicine program, and we have 33 schools that we serve in telemedicine. So we actually will see uh, sick children in the school with the help of the school nurse via telemedicine with our nurse practitioner. Well, obviously, that's very expensive. You would think to get all that equipment in all of those schools. And that's where places like the USDA um, and, and other agencies, especially with the government, provide grants for things like that. So yeah, you know, there is a bit of a equipment cost issue up front. However, uh, the, the, the price has greatly decreased and, um, sorry, you're going to have to edit that piece. The, no, you're fine. So the, the cost of admission has definitely decreased, um, and we can provide that into those schools at no cost to the schools because it was all through grant dollars. So the school now has access to our pediatric trained nurse practitioners through telemedicine at no cost to them. So, you know, it, it, there's no cost to the students as well. You know, we may bill their insurance, you know, but outside of that, there is no real cost to the patient. And I would say that's, that's something I, I want to make sure I'm clear about is that we want to make it just like any other doctor visit where they walk in, they pay their copay as they would anywhere else. We provide that virtual visit and that's it. You know, there's no additional cost to the patient at all. Right. And I think that, that that's uh, it seems pretty consistent, right, with what we hear from almost every industry where it is just a lot of it is just based on the natural ebb and flow of technology. Right. Like I think yep. as more of these things become more pertinent in people's lives, this is going to seem less and less of a foreign concept. Right. It is. I mean, Elmer, I imagine you've had a, a FaceTime conversation with someone. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's similar. I would say the majority of telemedicine projects that are done out there are done via a simple audio video back and forth. So simple web camera, 
simple speaker. Now, when you need those those more more acute devices, those better diagnostic quality devices, there is some cost associated there. But we have seen incredible advances recently uh, from some terrific companies in, in making those diagnostic tools available to the masses. So, Matt, now looking a little bit to the future, is there any any specific tech that's made telemedicine more viable? Is there anything you see on the horizon that got you either excited or not excited for the future of the industry? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot going on in telemedicine and virtual care. And it seems like everybody uh, in the world wants to get into this space with, with every device possible. There's a couple of, of adjuncts, I think, with telemedicine that make the diagnostic quality better. And I have no financial arrangement with any of these companies, mind you. I just really, really admire a lot of the products that they're putting out in the telemedicine industry. One is TidoCare. So TidoCare uh, has really put telemedicine peripherals into a reachable place for healthcare systems and even consumers. So they make sort of an all-in-one module of digital uh, laryngoscope, thermometer, stethoscope. And they provide it at an affordable price. So the idea is that if you don't like necessarily having just that video conversation with your doctor and your doctor says, wow, I really need to look into your daughter's ears here because she may have an inner ear infection. What TidoCare does is it gives that mother the ability to digitally look inside their children's ear and have that image transmitted in real time to a physician who could be several states away. And that gives better diagnostic quality, right? Now that physician can say, yeah, your daughter has a fever because she has an inner ear infection or she has it for some other reason, but it's a great diagnostic tool. It allows for uh, quite possibly better prescribing of antibiotics for children. And so it's a win-win for everyone. I, I certainly look to the future with TidoCare and, and say to TidoCare, yes, you've done a great job so far, guys. Continue on and continue making it more available, even even lowering the price more uh, to allow everyone in the in the public to have access to their peripherals. The other couple of technologies that I think are interesting are things like the Cardia Band. And so that's just a medical device that uses Apple Watch and it captures an EKG in real time. So you can detect AFib. So atrial fibrillation can be, you know, many times uh, something that people get post-stroke or it actually can cause a stroke. And being able to diagnose it as it's happening is incredibly important. So things like the Cardia Band are really incredible. And then the final ones have to do in the neurology world, which I'm especially interested in. So there's two technologies out there I'd like you to, to look at yourself uh, after this. And for anybody listening to this, to please do. It's viz.ai. So viz.ai has developed a sort of deep learning algorithm to run in the background with CT angiograms uh, and CT perfusion scans. And it can detect large vessel occlusions instantly and then transmit that information to the interventional neurologists and to the stroke team. And so that's incredibly important because every second that passes after a stroke, especially with a large vessel occlusion, means uh, dead neurons, dead brain cells, the faster we can diagnose a large vessel occlusion and act on it, the better. So that's incredible. It uses artificial intelligence to do it. And then the last one I'll just mention briefly is a technology by Neuroanalytics that I was very impressed with. They use transcranial Doppler to help diagnose a stroke um, on the spot. 
allows for better treatment rates, faster treatment, uh, faster time to treatment with stroke is incredibly important. So as much as I love sort of the audio video aspects of telemedicine, which are fantastic, I think it's those other pieces on the outside, the Tido cares, the viz.ai with artificial intelligence, the neuroanalytics transcranial Doppler piece, you know, all add sort of a, a better diagnostic quality that was really for years missing in the telemedicine world. Interesting. So then, Matt, do you feel that the industry in a general sense is moving at a, at a good pace? Is it, It's on track to make some of these changes to make this a more viable healthcare option? No doubt about it. I mean, it's outpacing what I thought it ever would. I, I'm incredibly impressed with uh, the American Telemedicine Association and their ability to lobby in Washington, D.C. and in states uh, where telemedicine uh, has been an issue. So I, I've, I'm very um, – my, my outlook on the telemedicine industry is incredibly positive. I see some incredible technologies coming out. But even more importantly, I see the regulatory hurdles being knocked down. And I see other legal barriers that have been put up being knocked down. So I'm incredibly uh, positive on the outlook for telemedicine. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time. My pleasure, Elmer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.